Cleared for takeoff, runway 08, orbital insertion approved. Let's go. Hey, what is up everyone? This is Jay Simpson, and you're listening to the Ignited Flight Podcast, where we bring information and inspiration for everything aeronautics and astronautics. Like I said, my name is Jay. I'm an entrepreneur, an investor, a disciple maker, and I'm also a private pilot and spaceflight enthusiast. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Starship, and Starship is an incredible endeavor that SpaceX has been working on for quite some time now. And I gotta tell you, this is probably the project currently in spaceflight that I am most excited about. I am so thrilled at what SpaceX and Elon Musk has come up with for Starship. And really, I truly believe that this vehicle will change the way we do spaceflight forever. This is one of those moments as you grow and develop that you come out with a new technology that basically outdates everything else instantaneously. And it's been a long and a hard journey. But this vehicle is literally incredible on how it's been designed and what its uses are. Uh, There literally is so much we can talk about this one project, the Starship project. Um, And honestly, we will probably expand upon this more in multiple episodes under different aspects of it. But for this particular episode, I want to do a brief overview of everything this vehicle has to offer, which is quite a lot. So sit tight, hang on, and let's take a look at Starship. Before we dive in too much, I kind of want to give you a brief background of what brought SpaceX to this point, because this is the point that they've been working on for many years now since their original uh, Falcon 1 successful launch in 2008. They've been working to get to this particular moment. This is the vehicle they wanted to design. When SpaceX developed the Falcon 1, it was more of a proof of concept, but later when they released the Falcon 9, which is their workhorse rocket, it's the one that they use most consistently for all their launches, uh, that's when SpaceX really started to get traction towards the larger goal of Starship, and this was why. Falcon 9 offered something new that we had not seen before in spaceflight, and that was reusability. Now, we did get some of that with Uh, the space shuttle that NASA produced, and I don't want to minimize that, but the space shuttle required so much work, so much turnaround, much more than what was originally anticipated. And on top of that, there was a still a large piece of the rocket, the external fuel tank that was not able to be reused. It just, it was, it was a great step forward with reusability, but it was not perfectly done. And again, first steps are never perfect, but it was important nonetheless. Elon Musk and SpaceX recognized that if they wanted to achieve their biggest goal, which was not just to visit Mars, but to put a colony on Mars, SpaceX's dream is to make humanity a multi-planetary species. In order to do that, Mars is the closest place. So it's not just that we want to get footprints on Mars. He literally wants to have a, a human settlement colonists on Mars. And that, that is a lofty goal. You need equipment to do that. And a key aspect of that equipment working is reusability. And basically what Elon did was started testing out these ideas. And I say testing loosely. He very quickly showed that it was not just a test. It was working great on the Falcon 9. Now, for reusability, um, no one had ever conceived before about landing 
the main boosters of a rocket. Now, of course, a rocket usually has multiple stages. And historically, as the rocket would launch, it would just drop off uh, a piece that when it expended the fuel, it was no longer needed, lessening the, the way the vehicle to propel it into orbit. And Elon had this idea of what would happen if we could successfully land these booster cores. And so SpaceX really put their minds to it, and they worked um, incredibly to make this happen. And again, kind of making this very brief, they were very successful with the Falcon 9 in doing booster landings, and it became something regular, not even something experimental, but just normal consistency of this is how we do a rocket launch. We launch, and we also land a piece of the rocket that we use, and we can reuse it later. And they were able to have a much faster turnaround, usually less than 90 days, on these booster cores to reuse them, and they had high number of uses of reusability, so just incredible work they had done. This all laid the groundwork for their next big project, which was Starship. Now, at the time, they did not call that Starship. At the time, they were still working with Falcon 9 and the Falcon Heavy, which was basically the Falcon 9 with two additional Falcon 9 cores strapped to it, making 27 engines. It was huge, and again, multiple pieces that could land. And kind of taking it up one more level, you had the Falcon 9, you had the Falcon Heavy, and the terminology started getting passed around that the next project would be BFR, or Big Falcon Rocket, or as many people really called it, the Big Freaking Rocket, except there was an expletive in there. Um, the, the, the BFR was going to be this ginormous rocket that had incredible capability to really help fulfill this dream of getting humanity on Mars in a permanent fashion. So you had BFR, uh, which was uh, not only the whole rocket, but also more importantly, the booster side of it. And then the upper portion, the actual ship that would go the whole way was called BFS or the big Falcon ship, big freaking ship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but that was the original goal. Um, as they started developing this and getting some groundwork done on this, they changed the name again from BFR to a more friendly username of the Interplanetary Transport System, or ITS. Um, and that was actually put out by SpaceX in some of their original concept videos that showed this idea of launching and landing and what this full rocket would be capable of. And it was incredible. It was jaw-dropping when you saw this thing conceptualized in front of you. Uh, shortly after that, people recognized that ITS really sounded like a NASA name, Interplanetary Transport System. And of course, SpaceX does not do things the NASA way. They do things more of a Silicon Valley way. And they wanted something that sounded better. And so they changed the name, the entire project name, to Starship. And that is what we've been calling it ever since. And uh, it really has been an incredible journey so far. Now, Starship, before they were ever even able to start looking at the vehicle and the different pieces of it, they had to figure out how to land something this large. Again, the reusability aspect was very key. Now, SpaceX had learned a lot through the Falcon 9, through the Falcon Heavy, on landing those main cores of the rocket. But in order to translate that to a much larger vehicle required further testing. So Starship originally started as the Star Hopper project, which is basically a, a much smaller version um, of the vehicle that was meant to hover, to test the flight capabilities. And it really was 
uh, very similar to whenever the Falcon 9 started looking at reusability. They had what was called the Grasshopper Project, which was, again was looking at landing and hovering and, and how you can make those dynamics work when a vehicle that size in a vertical orientation. That's key. Now, for Starship, that stage did not take near as long because, again, SpaceX had been doing this for a while on the smaller Falcon 9 rocket. So when Starhopper had completed, they started working on Starship. Now, Starship refers to the entire vehicle, which is a two-stage vehicle. The upper stage, it's going to go the whole way to the destination, as well as the larger uh, first stage, which is the big booster that's going to get this thing up into orbit and beyond. And But even though we call the entire thing Starship, technically Starship also only refers to that upper second stage portion. And that's the piece of the vehicle that they worked on to start with. To give you a little idea about the size of this thing, um, the Starship, the, the main vehicle, is roughly 9 meters or 27 feet in diameter. That is huge. That is very, very large for a vehicle this size in its diameter. Uh, you figure for the, the Falcon 9 rocket, that diameter is roughly about 9 feet. So it's about three times the size of a Falcon 9 core and, and the diameter of it. But that isn't getting to the height yet. The height of it is 49.5 meters or 162 feet tall. This is huge. And again, this is just the upper portion of this rocket, of Starship. And it is powered by six Raptor engines. We're going to talk more about those in a minute. Very unique engines that were purpose-built for the mission that Starship aims to achieve. But again, they've been working very hard on that aspect of it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the upper portion, that Starship vehicle, can't do its full job. It cannot complete its mission without the booster. And this is the super heavy booster. This thing is huge, literally huge. Now, while it is also nine meters in diameter, or again, 27 feet to match the upper portion of the rocket, its height is what sets this thing apart. It is 70 meters tall, or 230 feet tall. It is huge. It is ginormous. When both of these vehicles, the booster and Starship, are stacked together, this thing is nearly 400 feet tall. This will make this rocket larger than any other rocket ever produced, even the current ones that are currently being produced. This is going to be the biggest rocket ever. And on the booster side, it is powered by an alarming 27 Raptor engines. And that is going to be, in the future, expanded out to 32 engines. Now, that is a lot of engines. And historically, um, having lots of engines is a good thing because if you have a partial engine failure, you have a lot of engines, they can cover the workload of one or two that fail along the way. That's one of the really the, the, the selling points of the Falcon 9. Falcon 9, of course, has nine engines and can still completely get into orbit only with seven of them. Um, so that, that really is a great marketing feature for a customer to know that you have redundancy uh, when it comes to the actual propulsion side of your vehicle. But the Super Heavy Booster has 27 of these Raptor engines. Um, historically, this has only been tried something like this with this many engines previously, previously with a Russian design. And they ran into a lot of issues with 27 engines. There's a lot of different feed lines, um, a lot of different components that have to work together in sync for this thing to operate properly. And SpaceX seems like they're nailing this thing pretty good so far. 
And again, that 27 will be expanded in the future up to 32 engines, which will again increase the capabilities of this machine. Now I mentioned this Raptor engine. This Raptor engine is very unique, uh, particularly for the fuel that it uses. And again, SpaceX's plan is to get this thing to Mars. Well, if you get a vehicle like this to Mars, you have to be able to get it back. Well, in order to get it back, you need fuel. So what SpaceX did was a very unique and bold move was they changed the typical fuel that is used on rocket engines. So historically, rocket engines are powered by two things, um, RP-1, which is kerosene, and LOX, which is liquid oxygen. Uh, those two components, you put them together, you get an explosion, and uh, that comes out, and that creates the thrust that you need to go to your destination. What SpaceX did, knowing that they would not be able to get or refine RP-1 kerosene on Mars, was they said, we need to modify that. They, they would be able to find ways to get oxygen on Mars, but they could not get kerosene that we are aware of at this point. So what were they going to replace it with? And the decision was to use cryogenic liquid methane. Methane is in abundance on Mars. You can pull it from the atmosphere. So the idea was if you get a vehicle there initially with the equipment to basically uh, produce both aspects of these fuel components through things, through sources that are available on Mars, that it would meet that need. But again, trying to fire these engines with um, liquid methane and liquid oxygen, never been done, especially on this kind of scale. So a lot of hard work was done to make sure this would work. And uh, again, it seems almost um, trivial because, again, if you're looking on this rocket only being used from an Earth standpoint or for low Earth orbit or those kind of operations, why can't you just use RP-1? Um, SpaceX did the hard thing. They did it the right way. They made sure this thing was usable in all different aspects uh, around those Raptor engines, again, using the methane, uh, so that way it can be particularly used for the main mission of Mars. Now the capability of these rocket of this rocket is like you you can't even like I, I sit here and I look at these numbers and I still can't get over it. So right now the target goal of the capability of Starship is 100 to 150 tons to low Earth orbit. 100 to 150 tons that is outrageous. Like that dwarfs anything else that has ever been produced. Like even what the space shuttle could put up. 100 to 150 tons to low Earth orbit. Gets even better. It can take 21 tons to GTO or the geo geostationary transfer orbit, um, and that is still incredible. 21 tons, and you can actually get that up to 100 with a refuel. We're going to talk about refueling in a moment, and that's a very key important aspect uh, that Starship uses to be successful. What it's doing, but again, 21 tons unfueled just with a standard launch to GTO, and then with a refuel in orbit, you can get that up to 100 tons. Now, let's talk about the moon. How much can you get to the moon? You can get between 100 to 200 tons, again, of cargo, of people, whatever you want, of space vehicles, whatever, 100 to 200 tons to the moon, again, with one refuel. But again, the major goal is Mars. So what is this thing? And this is what it's been particularly designed around is Mars. What's the goal for Mars? Between 100 to 150 tons. Now that does require multiple refuels while in Earth orbit in order for that to happen. Now these tankers are very similar in the design of the upper stage of Starship or what we've been calling just Starship. Um, it's basically the same exact design except it's nothing but a tanker. And the idea is that you would put 
Starship into orbit and then follow that launch by launching a tanker. The tanker rendezvous with Starship, it refuels it, and then Starship departs on its way. If you're going to GTO or to, to the moon, you only need one refuel. If you're going to Mars, they're looking at approximately three refuels that it would take to fully refuel the vehicle and send it on its way to Mars. But just an incredible concept, and you can see why the reusability aspect is so important. In fact, SpaceX is currently attempting that the same booster that took Starship up into orbit could land and then a tanker of fuel be placed on top of that same booster and relaunched basically within the same day. Now that's a pretty bold goal. I'm not sure they're going to get that right away, but it's definitely possible for that to happen. That huge, enormous booster has to be able to land on the exact same point that it took off back on the, the launch pad. So that's pretty tricky to do, uh, but it's definitely a possibility. It's not out of the realm of uh, something that could actually happen. So it's gonna be exciting to see those things actually happen. So again, that's the idea, just an incredible amount of capability that this rocket can produce. I mean, they have really thought Starship out very carefully of what their overall goal is with Mars. But as they have expanded this further, like this thing has many uses beyond Mars. On the Mars side, I mean, 100 to 150 tons, that is a lot that you can take with you on a journey. And that number was originally selected, as I understand, uh, 100 tons. Basically, the goal was to take 100 people to Mars. Now, that would not be an initial trip, mind you. The initial trip would probably be a much smaller complement of individuals, a whole lot of equipment going out there. And again, that would probably be even after an initial trip that was unmanned, just taking equipment out for fueling purposes and to get to basic things up and running. But again, the idea was... 100 tons, that'd be 100 people, and basically each person could take uh, one ton of things with them. And again, if you are going to make a life on another planet, you, you need to be able to take about one ton of material with you. You're going to take your house with you. You're going to take uh, whatever you need for your profession there, your tools, your equipment, food, um, things to grow, all that stuff needs to come with you. And that was kind of the idea, 100 tons, one ton per 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 person that they could transfer out with them. Uh, and that's just going to be incredible. And I do think you're going to see that in just a couple of years, a successful flight of Starship um, out to Mars and then followed quickly by humans going. And in fact, I do believe that Starship is going to beat NASA or anyone else out to Mars at the rate that they are accelerating. Um, just no one can stop them at this point, in my opinion. But not only Mars, um, with a vehicle like this, it's so versatile, you can use it on shorter things as well. You can use it to go to the moon. And initially, this wasn't planned for, but NASA opened up and was calling out to contractors to provide them with some type of human landing system that could go to the moon. Now, again, Starship was designed for going to Mars, but looking at the design they already had completed, they said, well, this thing could work. Why don't we submit this? So they made a couple of modifications, including, you know, making sure that there was an elevator system on this Starship to be able to lower equipment down to the surface of the moon. Again, it's a large vehicle, 162 feet tall. And uh, basically, this concept, which is, I mean, ginormous, 
was larger or better than anything else that anyone else could come up with. And so NASA immediately took it and the cost effectiveness was crazy because of the reusability aspect of it. It just beat and blew everyone else out of the water. Now that didn't sit well with some people, including with uh, Jeff Bezos at Blue Origin. He really wanted Blue Moon to be a, a lander uh, contender. And uh, they are still working out that whole thing with NASA because Blue Origin has accused NASA that they weren't open enough in their contract selection, that they should have more than one um, person trying to fulfill that in case there's problems, which technically is wise. But again, the, the cost, the price point of what SpaceX was offering through Starship of going to the moon was just incredible. And again, considering how much you can take with you, they could take so much on one trip uh, to the moon. You could put a small base there. If you took 200 tons of equipment, um, I mean, literally, you could put a small base there in one trip. So just really incredible. And not only the moon, of course, let's not forget about low Earth orbit or GTL. There's so much opportunity there to launch satellites and other equipment into space. But now you have a vehicle that is so huge that can carry so much weight. Like I know that scientists are just in all of this because now they can send up much larger pieces of equipment into orbit. I mean, think about if you've got a rocket that is 30 feet in diameter, roughly, and, I mean, think about a space telescope you could fit in there as a payload. It'd be ginormous. Think about, you know, sections of a new space station or whatever it might be. Like, you, you could put up a lot of equipment on one flight of this vehicle. So, a lot of application there. Probably the most unique application, and this is the one that I am watching from a very selfish standpoint, is what SpaceX is calling Earth-to-Earth. And again, this was just an actual kind of side thought that if you're creating a vehicle with this capabilities, what else could it be used for? So SpaceX came up with Earth to Earth. Basically, the idea of launching Starship with a human complement on board as a transfer service that could get you anywhere in the world in less than an hour. So basically, the rocket would shoot up, would not go into orbit, but would basically shoot up and then turn around and land at its destination. So for example, you could launch from New York and head out to Singapore or you know, just distances that are so huge apart, distances that would take 12 to 16 hours of flight time on a conventional airplane. Now you can do it in roughly about a half an hour. Most destinations in the world, these long distance trips are only about 30 minutes to get there. Now, of course, what clientele would use that? Well, obviously very wealthy people would use that. But I sat here and look at this from this point of, my goodness, that would be a really good aspect for space tourism. I mean, think about this way. If, if you had never flown before and you wanted the experience to fly, one way that you could do it is just booking a commercial flight. You could hop on at your city and fly to another city to get that experience. Well, for me and my standpoint, I want to be able to see the Earth from orbit. You could, if this becomes a reality, I could, you know, book a flight and head over to Tokyo or something like that um, and, you know, get that full flight experience. And I guarantee you that's going to be on the lines of very affordable, again, compared to other space tourism options, just because of the reusability aspect. And again, if you just have people on board this rocket, it doesn't take near as much fuel because, I mean, you're all not going to weigh, you know, 100 or 200 tons. Um, so that just has some really cool capabilities in it, As again, as a side thought. So that Earth to Earth is something that I'm watching. Again, most destinations in the world, 30 minutes, anywhere in the world in less than an hour. 
uh, just a, an incredible concept that they have come up with. So that gives you kind of a brief overview of Starship as a whole. And again, so many of these aspects of it, I would love to dive in deeper and perhaps on future episodes we will. And just talking about all the unique capabilities and strengths of this vehicle. We all have our eyes on Boca Chica, Texas right now, and that is where Starship has been being developed. And they have gone through many of their prototypes. They've successfully landed the upper portion of Starship um, multiple times now, and they are working on doing a full stack assembly and orbital launch, which will include that super heavy booster I mentioned with its 27 engines and with Starship serial number 10 stacked on top, could happen anytime in August of 2021. So we'll be watching that and following that. And of course, we will have some updates for you on that here on the Ignited Flight podcast as well. But I want to know, what do you think about Starship? Do you think that I'm just like too gung-ho about this? Do you see its incredible potential and are you as excited about it as I am? Could you see yourself maybe taking an Earth-to-Earth trip or just sitting back and being super excited and falling closely as you see colonists head to Mars on this vehicle? I would love to know what you think about Starship. So go ahead and reach out to me and let me know. You can reach out to me on Instagram. My handle there is at jsimnow. That's J-A-Y-S-I-M-N-O-W. I absolutely love hearing from you guys. We have an incredible group of listeners. So definitely reach out with your feedback, any questions that you have, or future value that you would love to gain from this podcast. And as always, I hope you leave this episode feeling inspired. Thanks for joining me on the Ignited Flight Podcast and have a stellar day.